This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 9, Episode 17. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Guns.com. Today is Wednesday, December 20th, 2023, as of recording of this episode, and I am your host, Riley Bowman, and joined today by producer and co-host, Doc, or Brian McLaughlin. Either one. (laughs) He likes to be called Doc. So we'll call him Doc. A lot of Brian's out there. So. Yeah, a lot of Brian's. There's a lot of doctors too. There are, but not many go by Doc. <laughs> it's not very cool in that world. You know, for the sake of listeners, Doc, why don't you tell folks where Doc comes from? Okay. Well, I was a corpsman. M a corpsman for the Marine Corps. Not anymore. I, I've been out for a little bit. Uh, but I spent some time with them in Afghanistan and uh, running around with them in the hills. So I earned the title of Doc, which is kind of a big deal. Not all corpsmen are docs, and yeah, it's one of those uh, uh, terms of respect and endearment. Uh, it can be used uh, against you if you're uh, messing up, um, or it can be a good thing. So being a doc is uh, part of my personality now, so might as well accept it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, we're glad to have him as part of the podcast on a more regular basis now. Uh, today, guys, we're actually here with a news episode of the podcast. It's been a while since we did one of these. We're going to try to catch you up on some ongoings in the 2A uh, world, I guess. So, uh, in fact, we're going to be merging um, all of our industry and new product type news together with legislative updates as well from around the, the 2A world. So uh, that's going to be the today's episode. We got a bunch of interesting stories, a couple of kind of teasers, if you will, about some of that. First off, we're going to talk about the thing that's driving ammunition costs, especially coming up here in 2024. Got some, you know, a little bit of a new piece of information uh, to share with you on that. I think that'll be of interest to some of you. Uh, also, we're going to be sh- talking about, I know one of the stories really caught my attention, talking about how in one U.S. state, uh, they really want to be surveilling law-abiding Americans as they're making firearm and ammunition purchases. That's not going to fly. Nah, that's not going to fly. So we'll share with you with that that with you as well. And also uh, another kind of interesting story is the uh, second or the semi-automatic gun ban that uh, that some people are wanting to push for at the federal level as well. So we'll talk about that as well. A bunch of other stories we, we will bring to you too. Today's episode though, first is brought to you by Mountain Man Medical. And actually at some point during the episode, I'm going to turn to you, Brian, and say, you know, since you are, you're kind of the big man behind Mountain Man Medical. So I'll have you uh, share a little, uh, I don't know, a little tidbit about Mountain Man Medical as sponsor of today's episode. Excellent. I'll let you know when that time comes. And also today we'll be sharing with you some cool, exciting news about an upcoming giveaway. Uh, we got, I think, like 10 different companies that are a part of this. Uh, there's going to be a gun that's given away. There's going to be holsters, belts, um, all kinds of cool training products and gear and concealed carry products and gear and gun products and gear. So we'll be sharing that 
info with you also later in this episode. Stick around. You're going to, you're going to want to hear the details on where and how and when to find info on signing up for that giveaway. I mean, we're going to share and spread this far and wide, but I'll, I'll say just in terms of the products we're giving out, I know the top prize is like over $3,000 worth of products. So why not? You know, it's the holiday season and uh, we got a, a number of the other companies and friends of ours in the industry to get together and put together a nice giveaway package to give away to all of you during this holiday season. Uh, that giveaway is going to run uh, throughout Christmas and into the new year. Uh, so I'll share with you those details. Uh, oh, and I'll mention that it's not just one person that's winning a prize, but I think we're giving uh, up to, I think there's five people that are going to win prizes. Uh, so your odds are actually even better than if it was just one of you that was going to win something. So that'll be pretty cool and exciting to share. But first, let's go ahead and get into our first story. Uh, This was actually, I first saw this reported just on social media. Uh, There's a couple of news sources. And by the way, if you guys have been listening to the podcast a long time, you probably know this already. But if this is your first time, uh, what I can tell you is that the the news stories we'll be sharing today, there, there's links to everything, will be published in the show notes for this episode once this hits the podcast feed. So if you like to listen to the Concealed Carry podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or on your Google or Android device using any number of podcast apps, I mean, heck, we're even on Audible. You can find us on Audible if you search for us there. So if you like to just keep your life simple and you listen to Audible uh, books already and you want to add the podcast to that, you can you can find it in Audible. Spotify, like I mentioned, pretty much everywhere you can you can imagine. Uh, in, in each of those apps, you'll typically find where you can see the show information or details, and that's where you'll find the show notes, as we call them, which will be all the links to each of the stories we're sharing as well. So first up, we got a, a story uh, th- about ammo prices. I told you the ammo prices are going to be going up. I mean, they kind of already have been, uh, but there's an official announcement from a major, in fact, the largest manufacturer in the U.S. Uh, that was sent out to all of their dealers and distributors nationwide just a couple weeks ago. This was a letter from Vista Outdoors, uh, massive, you know, conglomerate company of all these different brands and companies. I mean, you're talking Federal and Remington and CCI, Spear, uh, and and a number of others as well. And that's just some of the ammo companies, right? They just sent a letter to all of their uh, dealers and distributors saying, look, ammo prices are going up. And the reason why they said in this letter is due to a shortage of powder. Okay. So uh, it says here specifically, and I'm holding the letter, Brian, I think you actually have that ready to share on screen for those of you that are joining us uh, uh, on uh, Facebook or YouTube today. Uh, A letter here right here says that due to world events, our suppliers have notified us of unprecedented demand for and an anticipated global shortage of gunpowder and thus has increased our prices substantially. And therefore, we are raising our prices to help offset those increases. And it says here further, it's going into effect on January 1st, 2024. So in a little more than a week from now. And this this affects Alliant Powder, CCI Federal, their heavy shot brand, Remington and Spear. 
uh, and it's pretty much across all products. So we're talking shotgun shells, rifle ammunition, handgun ammunition, 22 and rimfire ammunition. Uh, uh, the, you know, they even include here as a separate category, WMR. So uh, I think that's referring to the, uh, like your, so they have 22 long rifle and shorts, but then also WMR, so like Winchester Magnum rifle. Uh, so 22 WMR. Primers as well, and Alliant powder. So most of the the ammunition is going up between one and seven percent, according to the ranges here. Primers says it's going to go up five percent. It's not even a range; it's just straight up they're going to raise primers five percent. And Alliant powder, because of limited availability of worldwide gunpowder, they're saying is going to go up ten percent. So that's no small increase either. Uh, and so, wow. Um, I mean, we've already been dealing with ammo cost increase over the last few years, especially since the COVID times, as I like to refer to it. Uh, demand has been high. We know that. It seems like things kind of start to level out this year. Um, but then, you know, with things kicking off um, in Israel, so like, you know, things kind of leveled out, like initially was the COVID thing and, and ammunition in production capacity was, you know, affected, things like that. The riots in 2020 and all that seemed to spike a bunch of interest in purchasing guns and buying ammo. We had a, like 15 million new gun owners that entered the, the marketplace that year and stuff like that, right? Like we've talked about this before. You had Ukraine kick off in what, early 2022, uh, it's been going on for a while now, and you know that that affected things further. And then it seems like things finally started to level out, like I said. And then Israel. Well, why do you think they're uh, the prices for primers are increasing? Yeah, and that, that powder, and that's a, and it, yeah, we were discussing this before the show. Uh, it, it said specifically due to gunpowder shortages, right. we got to raise prices, but they lumped primer increase into that as well, and. Last time I checked, gunpowder itself isn't used in production of primers. Uh, so I don't know what the link there is. Uh, presumably, I don't know. What what makes the primer go? <laughs> what, what, what is that in there? Well, that's, that's a... Uh, it's a chemical reaction. I mean, so is, gun, so is gunpowder. It's a very different chemical than, than what's, you know, gunpowder. Mm. Gunpowder is like a nitrocellulose and primers. I can't remember exactly. It's been a while since I've researched that. It's not gunpowder though. It's not gunpowder. Yeah. No, no, no. It's actually a lot more volatile compound than gunpowder because mm-hmm. um, primers have to be stored completely differently. And because they're shock sensitive, obviously. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so that's what we uh, see from this letter here. Hey, Christy, watch on YouTube. Thanks for joining us. Um, yeah, and she, she comments here, wonder if it's because of what's going on with ships transporting goods in the Red Sea. I mean, it's, it's all, that's my point and why I kind of highlighted all these things over the last couple of years. I think all of those things are factors. I feel like we've never quite fully recovered from the COVID thing and the Ukraine thing and riots and, you know, increase in demand and all that. Um, and, and, and just when things are kind of starting to get somewhere, then we throw a whole other thing into the mix with respect to Israel. Right. And so I think, you know, Christy, I think you're absolutely right that, that there's a lot of powder that's actually made um, in Eastern Europe, um, especially. And uh, I'm sure that's, you know, that certainly was impacted by the war in Ukraine. I'm sure is being impacted even further as far as what's going on in the Mediterranean and Israel and whatnot. So very, very, uh, you know, that's definitely possible. So, um, yeah, but uh, gunpowder going up. 
prices of ammo going up. So Israel, I think, already sparked another kind of temporary spike in demand by consumers for ammunition products. Uh, I noticed as soon as things heated up in Israel that, you know, it used to be I could just walk into any old local gun shop and find just about anything ammunition-wise on the shelves, um, relatively speaking. Uh, and now all of a sudden it's it's basically dried up. Mm-hmm. And that started when when Israel, you know, kicked off uh, October 7th, actually. So what about a little more than two months into that whole ordeal. And so as if that wasn't enough in terms of driving demand, which just further creates more of a shortage. And now we see additional shortages being announced by federal or the company that owns federal. Federal is, you know, probably the, the biggest right. of those brands that we all know and use and shoot. So anyway, not looking forward to that. You know, I'm an avid shooter, so definitely impacts me. <laughs> I don't know. How do you feel like it impacts you, Brian? I, I've, I've got a decent stockpile. I don't want to put that out on the internet, but I've got a decent stockpile at the moment of, uh, of ammo. So I'm set for right now. If I need to go and do some extra training, I'll have to purchase a little extra. But sure. uh, my backup loadout, it's all right. Well, I always have things on hand. I've got some, but, but you know, it, uh, as much as I shoot in a year. Yeah, you shoot a lot more. Which is not as much as what I used to. Be, I mean, I changed my shooting habits basically in 2020, mm-hmm. you know, and hasn't been really the same since. Dry fire skills, you're not going to go to the range that much because ammo prices are increasing. So you want to be learning dry fire practice and stuff like that. Right? It's true. That's true. Uh, yeah. Dry fire has been a, been a very important component for me uh, in, in terms of maintaining skills, certainly. So yeah, absolutely. You know, and you guys have been following us for a long time. Know that we're huge advocates and proponents of dry fire practice. And we sell a lot of products uh, that uh, support the, the practice of dry fire. Uh, in fact, just, it wasn't necessarily intended to be a, a sponsor of today's episode, but but just as a resource, it's super simple. If you want to head over to one of our sub-brand sites, which is dryfireproshop.com, that's where you can find all the all the dry fire goodies right there in kind of a one-stop shop. So you don't have to sort through, you know, everything on concealedcarry.com or whatever. You can just go to dryfireproshop.com, see all the dry fire products. So, yep, get after it with the dry fire, kids. Let's get to our next story. Um this one is actually kind of exciting to me because I know a lot of the people involved. So what this is, is a, a report on the 2023 IPSC or IPSC shotgun world shoot. That's what it's called. Could also be you know known as a world championship in the uh, IPSC or IPSC slash USPSA world. Uh, those of you that uh, are not competitors. So that's why I'm explaining this. Uh, we, we have certainly we have national championships here, you know, in the U.S. and every country that is part of IPSC, which is the international organization um, of which USPSA is a part. Uh, every country has typically their own national championships, and a lot of times the national championships are used to determine who from those countries will then go and represent those countries at the world shoot or the world championship. This is the closest thing in the practical shooting sports that we have to like the Olympics. And in fact, it's something that um, IPSC has worked as an organization has worked towards for years now, for decades, even actually it's been on the roadmap since at least I I can remember finding uh, a record of there being interest in getting IPSC or USPSA type competition 
into the Olympics as a sanctioned Olympic sport since the late '80s. Uh, so, so something that they've wanted to do, and it obviously hasn't happened, right. and and is kind of you know I'm sure it's a little bit of a controversial subject for uh, certain members of the International Olympic Committee. I do think that we have some friends on the International Olympic Committee um, that would probably support it, but I think there's probably still you know uh, a majority that don't want to see practical shooting sports. They're okay with, you know, shotgun sports or, you know, things like uh, sports like biathlon, um, but, uh, or archery, but not, uh, you know, run and gun type stuff. I'm surprised that they had this in um, Thailand. Thailand, They have pretty strict gun laws over there. So I imagine getting into the country with all of your weapons and gear and everything's got to be a hassle. Yeah. So, so this is what's interesting that not a lot of people know um, about that aren't, you know, within, and actually not even a lot of people within like say USPSA competition are all that familiar with the ongoings of the sport outside of the U S and kind of like what it looks like and what the laws are like. So yeah, the 2023 uh, shotgun world shoot was held in Thailand. Um, They held the 2022 um, pistol world shoot in Thailand last year. And I believe, uh, next year is, uh, the rifle world shoot. Um, and I think that that's also in Thailand. So typically what they do is they, they do a world shoot about every three years and they rotate through those three kind of, you know, cause like pistols kind of one thing, shotguns are a whole other thing. And then the rifle is kind of its own thing too. And, and so they kind of will, they'll select a host country to host they, the world shoot. And typically that country now gets that world shoot for three years where they run those, each of those three different disciplines once per year. Okay. So that each of those disciplines get a, the equivalent of a world championship. So it's kind of cool how they do that. Um, definitely brings a lot of, you know, travel and business and economy to the host, the host country where the host in that, since they get to not just do it once, but to do it, you know, multiple times over a couple of years, um, and so it's a big deal because it's uh, typically about five days of competition with like 30 stages or so, which is a lot. And, uh, um, and you get, you bring in thousands of competitors worldwide. And how, how do you qualify for something like that? So again, typically it's going to be in each nation is going to probably, uh, have their qualification rules a little bit different, but like in the U S here, uh, you have to have a minimum of three qualifying scores, um, out of essentially a, a possible four. What that is, is you have four opportunities that over a period of two years that you can uh, basically have a shot at earning a slot. Mm-hmm. And so what that is, is each year in the U.S., we have a USPSA national championship for a particular division for each of the divisions. So like, let's say I'm shooting carry optics division. I would want to go and shoot carry optics national championship. Okay, And then... Um, each year there's also a U.S. IPSC national championship. And so that is b- very similar to USPSA, but it's run according to uh, – it's it's consistent with the international rules of competition. So in USPSA is the same kind of sport, but a couple of rule differences. Um, we're still part of the IPSC organization, but then basically since we don't run a, a national championship already that, that – 
that matches the international rule set, we got to run a second national championship. Okay. So, so in the U S what we do is over two, over two years, this is a qualifying year. And next year is a qualifying year. You got to shoot a minimum of three out of four total possible national championships uh, events to then have enough points to have a shot at getting on the, on the world championship team. Okay. And how many slots are there? Is this the one or no, no, there's, there's, you know, a team, like there's going to be, uh, you'll see even right in this article, you know, it lists all the different, uh, competitors, in the shotgun, you know, all the different shotgun divisions, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's open division and standard division and modified division. And, and so there's all these different divisions and each, you know, I think we probably had on average, five competitors in each of those divisions uh represent us at, at, at the shotgun world shoot that's probably on the on the low end as far as what we would see in the pistol competition at the world shoot we probably have i don't know 50 people that might go and represent at worlds I don't, i'm just guessing here you know but but that, that sounds probably about right so I'm, I'm actually hoping to earn a, a slot to the 2025 world shoot that's why this last year i shot um, carry optics national championship production division national championship and then i shot in production division at the u.s ipsic national championship and then i i got to decide if i'm going to go more carry optics focused or production focused in 2024 and i'll hit all those same national championships try to collect all the points i can and see if i can earn a slot anyway that's just to kind of that's kind of how that works and again it's that's the closest thing we have to the olympics so essentially what just happened was the shotgun practical shooting you know equivalent of the olympics in the world happened uh a couple weeks ago in uh pataya thailand and we had a great turnout as far as performances from the u.s teams the men's open team finished um uh, second place over, so the, 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 they medaled with a civil, silver medal as a team, but then the first place overall winner was Scott Green of the U.S. team. Nice. So he won an individual gold medal. So that was pretty cool. And also uh, uh, shout out to Ruben Alexson, who's a friend of mine. You know, I've competed with Ruben and known Ruben for a number of years now, and he did a great job uh, finishing 13th overall in open division. In the ladies' open team, uh, they finished with a bra- bronze medal for team else. So good, good for them. And Lanny Barnes got a gold medal overall in open division for the ladies. And Lanny, uh, I think you've probably even met Lanny. Uh, Lanny's from Durango, Colorado. We're Coloradans. So that's pretty cool to see uh, kind of a local gal um, do, do so. I mean, finish. She's the, she's the ladies open division champion in the world. <laughs> so good for Lanny. Justine Williams, I've, I've shot with a number of times. She finished eighth place overall ladies, so that's great. Great job for her. Men's senior open team finished fifth place in the world. Good job to them. The men's standard team finished fourth place. They were not too far out of, of, of getting on the podium as a team. Um, and a uh, little personal shout-out to Brian Nelson, who's a good dude. He finished fifth place overall in standard division, so good job there. The ladies' standard team took a gold medal first place win. That includes a gold medal individual medal for Lena Michalek, a bronze medal for Jaylise Williams, who I've also shot with, great gal, young lady. It's very, very, very good at almost anything she does. And then also Becky Yackley, who's also been on the Concealed Carry podcast before. She finished sixth place in the ladies for the standard division. So good job to Lena, Jaylise, and Becky. The men's modified team uh, finished sixth place overall as a team. Uh, good buddy of mine, Dylan, easily finished 13th overall. So Kudos to Dylan there. And the ladies modified team just finished outside of 
bronze medal placement um, with Diana Muller, a friend, finishing seventh place for the ladies. And a local couple local gals, actually, uh, including Cindy Coker, who works at uh, Bristol Cone Shooting Range not too far from her. She, fin- she finished 15th place for the ladies. So good job to her. That's cool. So I know it's probably not the typical news you guys usually are used to seeing, but I think we ought to recognize more often uh, when we have, you know, U.S. representatives of our nation going out there and in the world and and uh, doing so well in international competition. So uh, I th- I'd like to bring certainly more attention to that. Especially when there's so many winners coming out of Colorado. It's Heck obviously yeah. our mountain air here, which is <laughs> producing champions and winners. So. <laughs> Anyway, I just wanted to share that that little bit of news with you guys. Let's let's go ahead and uh, kudos to all those. So let's go ahead and move on to we got a new product here. I'm going to actually kind of turn the lead to you a little bit, Brian. Put you on the spot. I know you're still learning the gig, but uh, tell us about this new product from N8 Tactical. This kind of caught our eye. We thought it was like, well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So what do we have here from N8 Tactical? N8 Tactical or Nate Tactical? I don't know which one it is. Well, so so interesting side note, I've known this company for years. They were founded by the two founders of the company both had the first name of Nate. I knew it. And so originally the company was known as Nate Squared, N8 with a little two, Tactical. Uh, And then they sold out to uh, the same company that owns uh, like Crossbreed Holsters. Uh It's kind of now becoming a bit of a conglomerate of their own. Okay. And so, and then they sort of rebranded it. They dropped the the squared part of Nate squared. Now it's just N8 or Nate. Got it. Yeah. All right. Well, they're coming out with the versatile multi-flex holster. So this is designed for uh, compact and full-size pistols, um, and they are saying that it can fit over 275 different types of pistols. Um, They've got multiple adjustable retention points that ensure that the Multiflex can integrate reliably and retain your firearm. So um, that's something new that's kind of on the market here where it's able to uh, handle so many different types of pistols. You got one holster, you got 35 pistols, you got a holster for everything. Right, right. You know, uh, tell me if you can pull the, an image of this holster up on the screen for our viewers. Yeah. Um, it, you know, this is interesting. And, and I have to, we have to, I think we have to be careful how we talk about it here on our podcast because, you know, most of you probably know that, that we now own and operate a holster company ourselves. Uh, which is a KSG Armory holsters. Um, but I have no problem talking about other holster companies. And, and certainly I, I love seeing innovation. Uh, but I did want to highlight this one a little bit. This is really interesting. So it says it fits uh, over 275 pistols here in this article, uh, which is crazy. And so what you see is kind of a, a fairly generic, uh, you know, we'll call it a bucket, if you will. The gun's actually going to go in. But on the left side of the holster, as the image appears here, you can see there's two kind of little features uh, that I imagine probably have screws in them from the side that allow you to change dimensions and tension uh, of the trigger guard and of the actual fit of the slide and frame as well. So that's a really interesting approach um, that solves you know the problem of well, hey, can I make a holster that fits you know more models of guns than just having one holster for one gun, which is usually what most people have, right? I mean, certainly that's what we see with the holsters that we make. Now, there's a, there's a few exceptions, like pretty much all of our standard Glock holsters fit pretty much all of the standard Glocks, sure. you know. Uh, and then that's probably not a big deal, and people kind of expect that, I think, in today's world. But also little things like our our 
VP9 holster also fits P30s and vice versa uh, from HK. So the HK P30 and VP9 holster is the same. You can use it interchangeably. Th- those two guns are very similarly in dimension. They're actually just different enough that if you didn't make a couple little tweaks to the mold like what we have, then you have to make those those holsters individually for each gun. But I saw an opportunity there with our molds. I said, this is, you know, this is simple enough to solve. We make this work for, you know, for both guns. So where possible, we design our holsters already to uh, accommodate more than just a single model of gun. But this one, man, 275. Here's here's what I see those potential problems, Brian. I see that, uh, first of all, it, it's trying to be everything to everybody, which I get and I respect and I understand why we'd want to do that. Uh, and that's not only true in terms of accommodating 275 different models of guns, but also true in that it's trying to be an inside waistband as well as an outside waistband holster. And there, that's not the only time this kind of concept has you know been brought out. Certainly, there's lots of holsters out there that do something similar. However, what I'm just going to say with regards to this is typically what I find with non-purpose built holsters, meaning uh, the purpose of this one here is to be as universal as possible. Right. But I'm talking about with holsters that aren't designed for a specific use case, meaning like our holsters, while they have quite a bit of versatility and adjustability and, and different, like you can wear them appendix you can wear them in traditional iwb location and you can they got a lot of different options as far as the types of holster and setups that you can use but um but our holsters are really intended for inside waistband use um and they're really optimized well for appendix carry use this one trying to be an iwb and owb holster is probably trying to do too much for one thing um what you find is that it will work okay and I think for as far as I can tell, looking at it, it looks like it's it meets the basic requirements of a holster of being safe, you know, protecting the trigger and the trigger guard, um, retaining the gun. It's, I mean, it says it has adjustable retention. So so I presume all of that is true, but it's probably not going to work at, you know, as an IWB holster, it's probably not going to work as well as a purpose-built IWB holster. And as an OWB holster, it's also probably true. It's probably not going to work as well as a purpose-built OWB holster because you're trying to do too many things with one thing. So that's just something to keep in mind. It, you know, I applaud them for the uh, creativeness and the uh, the innovation, um, but I, I speak from a place of experience of having tried some other kind of universal-style designs, and that's generally what we find. I don't have personal first-hand experience with this one, but that's uh, just looking at it, I mean, for IWB use, you can see already it's got way more material than what it really needs, mm-hmm. right? You look at how much narrower a purpose-built IWB holster would be, right. and you don't have all this extra material, you know, on the side. Yeah, right? and it's going to be a uh, <clears throat> 6 o'clock position uh, primarily. You're probably not going to be wearing that in the appendix very comfortably. Yeah, this yeah, and, and it's got, this one's also got a cant to it, so it's not ideal for appendix, and it's it would be too wide for comfortable appendix use. So it's it, it's it's on the hip or behind the hip use. So yeah, good good observation there. So there you go. That's that's the new. I mean, we just, we bring it to your attention because I you know again I think it's interesting to highlight such things and to highlight innovation like this, um, but. Uh, you know, there's there's also some some potential downsides there. So, yep, yeah. All right, next up, actually, Brian, tell us sponsor of today's episode, Mountain Man Medical. Mountain Man Medical. What do you want my people baby. to know about Mountain Man Medical? Oh well, um, uh, 
something that we do pretty often is uh, custom trauma kits, um, especially for organizations. We have a multiple order discount. So if you put in a large bulk order, we can uh, work with you on the price a little bit. And um, I will do custom trauma kits. A lot of organizations will come in and ask for various things um, to meet their expectations and their needs. And I'll work with them and talk them through how to uh, get some of those items that are going to work for them the best. And so that we can come up with a customized trauma kit, get you guys exactly what you need um, for your organization or exactly what your method is. So if that's something that you're interested in, you can reach out to me at mountainmanmedical.com and uh, I can work you through all of that and come up with some custom trauma kits. And uh, don't forget to add some training in there. I've got uh, the emergency trauma response course. It's totally free on mountainmanmedical.com. Totally free, only takes about an hour and 17 minutes to complete it. You can use all, it teaches you how to use all of the items in your trauma kit. So I think it's a pretty good course. Check it out. Yeah. And I make a semi-naked appearance in there. You do. <laughs> you can see Riley shirtless and bloody. <laughs> so bonus material. <laughs> bonus. <laughs> Buy it just for that. It's free. Yeah. So mountainmanmedical.com, guys, check it out. Uh, the Yellowstone kits, I think, is probably our our most popular trauma Easily. kit. Yeah, uh, it's most you know it, it's the most basic, but kind of it's the most basic IFAC that we have that kind of covers all the bases, right? Uh, you've got, I mean, you have the sweet water that's even more pared down from that, but there's some things missing from the sweet water that I kind of wish you know that it had. So, so that's why I think you know most people tend to end up buying the Yellowstone. Um, and then as Brian mentioned, I, I appreciate that you went down that route as far as mentioning that we do offer or put together custom kits. If you're interested in something like that, maybe you work for an agency, an organization of some kind. I mean, we've, we've worked with a number of companies and or organizations or agencies where we've done this very thing where it's like, okay, tell us what you want or we'll consult with you on putting together the optimum kit for your organization. Yep. Um do that. That's an option. You can always contact us and find everything and contact us through mountainmedical.com. So thanks to our sponsor, Mountain Medical, for sponsoring this episode. You're welcome. <laughs> now let's get to our next story uh, out of New Mexico, actually. This according to ammoland.com. Uh, this title here is New Mexico Anti-Gun Group Investigated for Breaking Gun Law. I remember he, kind of hearing a whisper about this, but I didn't. I didn't quite, you know, investigate it enough to to know quite exactly what was going on. And then reading this article uh, <laughs> really, you know, brought it home. You know, made made sense to me. So basically, um, you know, there's been a lot of anti-gun stuff going on in uh, New Mexico as of late. Uh, you know, like for instance, we we reported. Uh, a month or two ago, probably about two months ago, about how their uh, the the uh, it was the mayor of Albuquerque, or maybe it was the governor, but no, I think it was the mayor of Albuquerque um, that that basically said no concealed carry allowed in Albuquerque and uh, stuff like that, you know. So there's just some crazy things going on in New Mexico from that's obviously driven by anti-gun groups. Um, there's one group down there called New Mexicans to Prevent Gun Violence, uh, and they were trying to do a gun buyback program that supposedly kind of some sort of joint thing with the city. And the city, it sounds like, canceled that on the city's uh, side of things. Uh, and so this New Mexicans to Prevent Gun Violence organization decided, well, let's go ahead and proceed with our gun buyback as a private 
organization mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't hold an FFL or, you know, anything like that. And apparently, if I'm understanding correctly, New Mexico now has a universal background check requirement as well in place. So basically what they started doing is they started going, you know, door to door, if you will. Uh, they called it their uh, guns to garden program. And uh, they were going from house to house that people wanted to essentially, you know, sell back or give back or, you know, have this organization buy back their guns. Uh, th- this organization was then going to those people to their homes and taking their guns, taking possession of them and then destroying them. Their, their goal was to turn them into, I think, garden tools. Correct. So that you could like garden with the, yeah. these weapons. Turning yeah. weapons of war, which is funny because like the first image you see is, is, you know, like, old school pump action shotguns and you know like. yeah not war weapons <laughs> but also never forget it's always better to be a warrior in a garden right that's right that's yeah. right and they, so there's a couple of actually interesting things at, at play here because uh first of all it appears that there's probably that there's been some guns that have been uh destroyed improperly because there's specific guidelines on how to do it properly uh, that don't, that doesn't violate law, for instance, that you don't somehow mistakenly accidentally create an SBR in some cases that some people have been known to do. But the other thing that's a bigger issue is that this organization is collecting guns from people without doing a background check and without, and then also what typically happens when, say, uh, a government agency would do something similar is they would also then run those weapons against uh, the the NCIC system to see what's if there's anything that's been turned in that's been stolen. So there's no destroying of evidence for like p- potential crimes and stuff sure. like that, right? Yeah, uh, and so none of that's done. Like they, this organization just decided to do their own gun buyback program, and it doesn't sound like they quite did it legally and that's really the issue at play here uh and so now a new mexican sheriff has opened an investigation into whether they that anti-gun group has illegally purchased guns because this this does constitute a purchase because they are buying back these guns that's part of this organization like they have funding and they're giving money to these people in exchange for their guns which then of course are getting destroyed but there's got to be a process for this, especially when it's even if there's not a universal background check uh, law uh, requirement. Uh, anytime you're an organization or business, which in this case this is a nonprofit business, when you're doing gun deals like that, like you got to be a dealer. Yeah, <laughs> it's one thing if I was to like sell you a gun or you sell me a gun privately. Although we're in Colorado and that would technically not be legal because. We have a universal background check requirement, but it's that's one thing as it's viewed federally. But if we're a business that's buying guns from people, we're supposed to be in the business of having a license. Oh, where's the ATF on this? Like, yeah. the ATF should be all over this. They're, they're, I think, probably paying too much attention to the brace thing to be <laughs> paying any attention to. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. I, I do hope it gets uh, brought to the ATF's attention. Um, so, yeah, and as I mentioned, it appears that there's some of these guns that have not been destroyed properly. Uh, the uh, Sheriff Shane Ferrari, who is the Santa Fe uh, 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 County Sheriff, he's the one that's opening up this investigation into the organization, looking at both in terms of the illegal transfer of possession, 
from this organization buying these guns back. And then also he states here that the group isn't destroying the guns according to federal law guidelines. So um, yeah, we'll see what comes of that. Next up on our stories. Um, I'm going to turn this one again to you, Brian, and I've got some other thoughts. I'll probably add, I'm sure, but the title here, and this is on new newsweek.com. Steve Bannon wants kids to use guns to the, to defend themselves from bullies. I'm not sure I fully buy that. That's exactly what was said, but I don't know. Did you look into it and love, love to hear your uh, kind of report here on this? This is kind of interesting news story that, that piqued our interest. Yeah. This is just something that kind of popped up and I'm not familiar with Steve Bannon or his work at all. Um, but I guess he is a right wing media personality and a former advisor to ex president Donald Trump. Yep. And I guess in a recent public appearance, he suggested that children should be armed. According to the, uh, the, the article, he suggested that children should be armed with guns in order to ward off bullies. He's quoted as saying, we should get kids off social media and start teaching them proper use of guns and how to defend themselves and their own self-defense. Should we not make that an integrated part of education so they're not picked on or threatened or certainly not scared, right? And I don't know, but uh, I, I don't disagree that I think you should have a lot of firearm safety. If you're going to have firearms in the house, you got to teach your children proper firearm handling skills like that is essential that's the very first thing that you do make sure that um that they understand and respect weapons and how to use them right um but uh i don't know if that's like the if you're going to teach somebody to defend yourself against a bully you're probably not going to be teaching them with a gun i would think uh hand-to-hand self-defense physical confrontation would be much more effective not to mention you have the the physical aspects of it if you've got it on during the gym aspect of uh, school um, and you're teaching them respect and actual physical skills that they're going to utilize throughout the rest of their life i think um, that's an easy easy mm-hmm. choice sure. pretty often they'll see um that uh, you know wayward boys and stuff like that the street kids that are out there getting into trouble as soon as they take up boxing or jujitsu or muay thai totally changes their life around there's so many guys in boxing right now that are big they're like i owe my life to boxing because i was going down this path and boxing saved me from it it gives them an outlet for a lot of those aggressive tendencies that you have as a young man you got to get those out and if you don't get those out in a healthy way you're going to go find unhealthy ways to get those out you know it's just standard boys are going to fight it's fun, uh, but if they're doing it safely and under good circumstances and guidelines, there's it's safe. Yeah. Uh, but if you're just out there punching people out <laughs> in the street because you you and your boys want to fight, and that's dangerous. You can get somebody killed, catch yourself a body, go to go to jail for a while. So, I think, in my opinion, um, yeah, absolutely, teaching kids to uh, use weapons is good. But correlating it with bullies, I don't know if that seems like a best right. idea. So so I looked into this a little bit because okay. I was like, <sighs> I feel like maybe this is being taken out of con- context a little bit. Cause, and I would say, it, I, I looked into this. I actually watched, there's a little short video clip. You have to click through to another link. Maybe we should make sure, maybe, maybe we should make sure we include that link as part of the show notes so people can go watch and judge for themselves. Uh, but there's there's maybe like a 30 second video clip of where he's saying this you know this this uh, quote that you quoted, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the way he phrased it, I took these things to be as like separate ideas and not 
linking necessarily the kids need to learn how to use guns so they can then defend themselves against bullies mm-hmm. with assume with the assumption guns. or the impl- implied meaning that they're using those guns. Right. So th- I'm going to try to read this in kind of the way that I heard it as I watched that video. So he said, we should get kids off social media. I think that's not a bad idea. In fact, my kids don't have access to social media. Uh, starting to kind of teach my oldest son, who's 17, a little bit more about that uh, because I think it is relevant, you know, in today's world to understand. And you know, but but that's definitely an issue where I, I see a lot of young young kids on social media, and um, if they don't, if they're not taught properly how to use it, that can definitely it leads to problems. And so I don't disagree with him here. We should get kids off social media. Okay, but of course, you're all parents and free to make decisions on that kind of stuff. Then he says, and start teaching them the proper use of guns. And he pauses there. Okay, start teaching them the proper use of guns. I don't disagree with that. I think that's something that more children should be educated on is gun safety, how to use guns, how to use them safely, all those, you know, all we've talked about that before in this podcast. Like it's just basic teaching of gun safety to children. I'm absolutely an advocate for. I think more of that is needed in this country. I think you'd see far fewer, certainly accidental deaths, if more childhood education of guns existed. And I think that you'd probably see less use of guns in violent encounters between youth if they were also brought up with a greater respect for guns. I think there's a lot of youth that have a tendency, they, they get their hands on a gun, a stolen gun, let's say, and are out in the streets using it without really thinking about what that really means they have you know and i know some of them just don't simply care um but but i think that that, that more gun more edu- more gun education for youth would not ever be a bad idea absolutely okay so so agree on that point as well so i'm going to read this in the way that i heard him quote it and start teaching them the proper use of guns how to defend themselves their own defense or their own self-defense. And it sounded the way he was phrasing it is like, we need to teach them. It's like a list, how to use properly guns, a separate item. Uh, where, where'd that go? How to defend themselves. So let's say maybe more jujitsu or martial arts or, you know, or situational awareness or whatever. Okay. And then another item and their own self-defense. Mm-hmm. That's how I, like when I read, when I saw him and heard him, speak it for himself, I don't think he was saying Surely when you not. teach them more gun <laughs> stuff so they can then go shoot their bullies. Yeah, that'd be outlandish <laughs> to uh, admit that um, even for uh, ex-Trump uh, advisor, I would guess. Right, right. So that's my take on it. That's my interpretation of it. You can go watch the video for yourself and make your own uh, determination there. I, I do believe this is probably one of those things that I think if he could rephrase the way he said it, he might consider revisiting that. Um, I think it's probably being uh, taken out of context or blown out of proportion a mm-hmm. little bit. So that, that's at least that's what I want to believe. <laughs> and if I'm wrong in that, then, well, that's an extreme view. And I think uh, uh, he should probably reconsider that. <laughs> yeah, a pretty extreme view. Yeah. I don't think many people would agree. <laughs> Yeah, that's not that's not the that's not the image we want to be painting. Uh, that's that's certainly true of, uh, for our youth. Um, 
NRA warns federal legislation introduced to ban gas-operated semi-automatic firearms. I've been seeing this float around quite a bit over the last uh, month. I think this kind of came out around the 1st December, started seeing, or maybe even as early as Thanksgiving. I remember, uh, I think it was, I was in, in Idaho on kind of a little Thanksgiving vacation there, and I remember reading something about this being introduced. Uh, so a couple of... Uh, 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 federal legislators want to introduce a bill. We've got um, Senator Angus King, independent from Maine, and Martin Heinrich, uh, Democrat from New Mexico. New Mexico again, so apparently no surprise there. They have joined efforts to introduce this bill in the uh, 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 into, I guess, presumably the Senate because uh, they're both senators that would ban semi-automatic assault weapons. And there's some exceptions included in the language of that, but part of the problem is, is that some of the language there on exceptions is not clear enough that it could be interpreted. And this is important and key. We know that already right now we're dealing with some things going on with the ATF that deal that it involves the interpretation of federal law, mm-hmm. right? That's where these regulation changes are trying to be proposed and and put pushed through by the ATF is by recategorizing, redefining the meaning of certain words and phrases in the federal register, the register of federal code laws. Um, And so this is definitely concerning because if you already have a proposed bill, which by the way, this thing should be a non-starter from the get-go. Okay. I'm not on board with this proposal to uh, essentially go back to another assault weapons ban like we had in the mid to late 90s and into the early 2000s. Um, uh, But this is even more concerning because it sounds like based on the language, it could even be extended so far as to lump into that potentially all semi-automatic handguns Mm -hmm. as well. And that is, of course, you know, super, super concerning for obvious reasons. So, I mean, what's your take on this? Um, I know that um, it, so that would come along the lines of like what all semi-automatic handguns, essentially, right? What would that not include? I mean, I know it's going to be like AR pistols and that kind of stuff, um, but that would include all semi-automatics, right? Yeah. Well, so 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 part of the language that, that it says here is the handgun ex- exception applies to, quote, a handgun that is a single or double action semi-automatic handgun that uses recoil to cycle the action of the handgun. The, and then I'm quoting now from the, this is an article on NRAILA.org website. This exception clearly excludes all blowback handguns, including extremely popular 380 self-defense handguns like the Ruger LCP and gas-delayed handguns like the HKP-7. But a narrow interpretation of what it means to use recoil to cycle the action could exclude the popular Browning short recoil operating system that is used by essentially all modern handguns of 9mm or larger caliber. So your typical Glock 17, Glock 19, Glock 43, Sig P320, HK VP9 that I'm carrying on me right now, uh, those all use a Browning style action, which is a recoil operated uh, uh, form of of semi-automatic. So a narrow interpretation of that, which Hey, ATF has already tried to play some very narrow interpretation game word games yeah. on us. Uh, so you see the concern here? 
So again, this whole bill should be a non-starter from the get-go, but whether this is intentional or not, I don't know. Probably isn't because the thing is a lot of these folks introducing these bills probably don't understand this stuff at a level that like what we do. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they just come up with some kind of verbiage like, hey, that sounds good, you know, but not really understanding the implication of such things. But this is exactly the problem with uh, the way our current government likes to operate a lot of times anyway. As far as, you know, you remember the whole read the bill, you know, the health, Affordable Health Care Act back in the, you know, early 2010s. And, you know, they had this, what, like 22,000 page bill. And they're like, you know, and, and nobody read it all the way through, really. Right. You know, but still said, yeah, I'm voting for that. And so there's all this crap hidden in there. There's a loopholes around the system, right? Like if you can yeah. change the meaning of words, you don't have to go through the entire legislative process to change the law. You yeah. can change the law based off of the definition of the words that are used and you can have whatever interpretation you want, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, words means things and super important. Um, again, I don't think this is going to go anywhere necessarily, but it's just good to be aware. That's why we bring a lot of the things we bring to you anyway is because this stuff is important to uh, – it, it's. I think it's important for us as Second Amendment supporters and believers or whatever you want to you know as second amendment folks we should be aware of what the anti-gunners are trying to do of what you know where their mind's at the the type of laws they're trying to pass uh because these are all like shots across the bow of hey warning shot look we want this semi-automatic assault weapon ban and look, you know, like, like this is what they want. This is what they are pushing for. Does it have a chance of getting passed right now today in the current makeup of a government of the Senate and the House? Probably not. Will it get past the Supreme Court? Hopefully not. But it should never have to get to that, that level in the first place. But the problem is, is that that's what they're saying today. What's, what are they going to push for tomorrow and next year and 10 years from now? And then, you know, it's all about like trying to crank up the thermostat a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And at first you're like, whoa, bro, 70 degrees is that's, that's good. Like, let's keep it there. And they're like, well, just one degree, just one degree. Okay, fine. 71. You know, next thing you know, we're at 80 degrees and it's freaking roasting in here. Right. And, you know, (laughs) and that's true just in the way that people push for certain legislation that, well, today this might sound like this is a non-start and it's not going anywhere, but 10 years from now, it might have a chance because they've numbed us enough with all the stupidity over the years. What do they call that? The boiling frog thing? Yeah. Anyway, something to be aware of and keep an eye on. There is a big problem out of Illinois, however, and that is that uh, earlier this year, a law was passed in Illinois, essentially an assault weapons ban, as well as a high capacity magazine law uh, that was passed earlier this year. And unfortunately, um, has been challenged in the courts thus far, has not been able to be overturned or stopped. Uh, so the latest news on this, according to pewpewtactical.com, is that this law goes into effect on January 1st. So just, you know, in basically about 10, 11 days. And uh, they they pushed for an emergency um a review and injunction from the Supreme court on this, the Supreme court denied that. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, it's, it's probably, you know, it's probably going to go into effect. 
So, so the way, and, and, and there was no explanation as to why the Supreme Court denied that review of this law. Um, but it seemed that the, the working theory right now is that they simply denied it on a preemptive emergency, you know, level, and that they're going to make them, you know, after it actually goes into effect to file an official uh, suit, if you will. Uh, and so that's probably what's going on here. I, you know, it's still possible that Supreme Court still wouldn't take on a case like that. And it's probably still going to have to work its way up. You know, basically what happened here is they tried to get an emergency injunction on this at the low, you know, lower level courts and it worked its way up through the court system until they filed an emergency, uh, uh, made an emergency filing with the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court's like, the U.S. Supreme Court and the Supreme Court's like, nope, sorry, I'm not going to review that right now at this time. So working theory is, is that, I mean, this law is going to go into effect on January 1st, 2024. So those of you in Illinois, I'm sorry. You're going to probably want to pay attention to that and understand what that means for you. Uh, I imagine there's going to be a flurry of filings as soon as that date approaches or as soon as we hit January 1st to officially make you know, a, a lawsuit against the government on this unconstitutional law out of the state of Illinois. I, it, things are crazy there. I, I was just watching a thing today. This uh, clip of this uh, this jujitsu black belt. This uh, guy ran into a uh, convenience store and started attacking everybody. And he grabbed this dude, wrapped him up, and was on top of him for eighteen minutes before cops showed up. Wow! So it is rough there, you know. Yeah. So yeah, yep. So January one assault weapon ban, high capacity mag. I think it's I think it's limited to ten round mags. If I recall from what I read on that law, so that's, that's unfortunate. All, all the criminals are going to really pay attention. That's good for sure. Final story we have, but before we get to that, I should mention at this time our other episode sponsor today is of our 2023. Well, what's it officially called? I should say it officially. The Guns.com 2023 Holiday Defenders Dream Giveaway. Boy, that's that sounds just amazing. <laughs> so what the uh, what the 2023 Holiday Defenders Dream Giveaway? Brought to you by guns.com is is a uh, $3,000 plus package. A Shadow Systems XR920 is being given away to the top winner or, you know, the number the first person chosen uh, winner of this, of this giveaway. Together, along with that, a bunch of products from KSG Armory giving, giving a holster. Uh, uh, let's see, EDC Belt Company giving a belt. We've got product, a $500 gift card. Basically, a shopping spree of nine nine line up nine line apparel. So that's part of the the, the prize package. We got stuff from MountainMedical.com. I think a Yellowstone kit. Uh, Filster is donating a uh, Filster Enigma. Uh, I, I believe an Enigma Express with your choice of holster that goes along with that. And there are a bunch of other great products. I can't remember and even list them all off. So what you're going to want to do and what you need to know about the 2023 Holiday Defenders Dream Giveaway is that you, on December 23rd, it will open up. Okay, so December 23rd is the magic day. It's not December 23rd yet as of recording of this episode. I believe that's Saturday of this week. Uh, this is Wednesday uh, that we're recording this on. So on Saturday, December 23rd, registration for the giveaway opens up and it will run through d- uh, January 3rd midnight I uh, believe mountain time uh, so you've got basically from December 23rd to January 3rd of 2024 to sign up for the giveaway how are you going to sign up go to concealedcarry.com 
forward slash giveaway. That's how you'll sign up. So that won't work right now for those of you who happen to be watching this live on Facebook and YouTube, but in a couple of days, December 23rd and onward, you can sign up for the 2023 Holiday Defender's Dream giveaway. Have a chance to win a $3,000 prize package. And don't forget that we're, I believe, giving also prizes to, and I don't remember all the specifics of what they are, to uh, the second, third, fourth, and I think fifth winners of that giveaway. So make sure you sign up today. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash giveaway. You said it's the XR920? Yes. Yeah. That uh, we got one of those in the safe. Uh, not quite the XR920. We have. What do we, we got? The XR920 is the uh, same slide length as the MR920. And but it's the full length grip oh, okay. of like a DR nine twenty. I'm pulling up a picture now. I don't know why yeah. it's not showing. There, there you it go. Is. That's 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 what we're giving away. Optic <sighs> not included though. That uh, not the optic. That Trigicon RMR is not included. But that yeah, that is the XR nine twenty. So that is that's the gun that we are giving away um, as part of this giving. That that gun's actually being given away by Guns.com. So pretty. Uh, to be clear, they are sponsored. That's their sponsorship of this is giving away that beautiful brand new xr 920 so on it it looks like one of those john wick guns yeah yeah you know and i I like how those guns shoot i've shot i've shot the xr 920 i've shot the mr 920 i've shot the and i've shot pretty much all of them uh you know i've I've been to their booth at shot show Uh, we've got a dr 920p that's the the uh or the yeah it's got a compensator on the muzzle of that one that's a that's a that's a really sweet shooting gun. I really like that one a lot. Um, let's see, we got the MR920 in the safe, which I've shot. It's a great gun, and we also have CR920, which is kind of their version of a Glock 43, mm-hmm. but with a g- larger uh, magazine capacity. Yeah, it's a pretty cool gun too. How many extra do you get in it? So it's it's basically the same footprint, you know, as far as like size as a Glock 43. But you know, a Glock a standard Glock 43 comes with a six round magazine, mm. six plus one capacity. Not very good. No. So in the same size configuration, the CR920 comes with a ten round mag because it's okay. a true double stack. So that's kind of cool. So it's like a it's like a shorter version of a Glock 43X. Okay. Shorter grip version. So and you can get the extended magazine on the CR920 as well, and I think that increases it to. 13 rounds, I think. So yeah, it's pretty cool. All right. So that's our, that's the other sponsor message today. Again, check out the giveaway, concealedcarry.com forward slash giveaway. Sign up between December 23rd and January 3rd. And please share that with your friends, family, give them all a chance too during this holiday season to win. Cause remember, it's not just gonna be one person that wins. So yeah, share it, spread the love, give it, give, give, give away. Last story here out of California, according to this being reported on Ammoland.com. Lawsuit filed to stop California law requiring spying on gun purchases. Man, I, I read this and I was like, what? Like, are, I mean, so get this. All right. Let's just read from this article here. Um, so this law was passed. Uh, let's see. I guess it was earlier this year. It doesn't say exactly. I don't even remember hearing about this, which is the other crazy thing to me. But it said here the law is going to require firearms retailers to video record their transactions. Okay. Because, and and not only, not only video evidence, like most gun dealers probably already have, you know, cameras, right. For like a secure, from a security perspective. Uh, But also audio, they want to be able to hear what's being said. As part of these transfers, 
Okay. And they want to be able to have access to that. Right. That's the other thing. Like it's one thing for a gun dealer to have security system in place for their own protection, you know, in case something happens and they, and they have that, that, that video, video uh, graphic evidence, but to be required to hand over videographic and audio evidence to the state to say, you know, as uh, this is, you know, as something for them to have as the, uh, to, as a, as a record of these transactions occurring between dealers and gun buyers, like that's crazy. So this is, they are filing this federal lawsuit in California. This is uh, sponsored by the second amendment foundation challenging this, uh, requirement to record all transactions, calling it a violation of first, second, fourth, fifth, and 14th amendment rights. Mm. Kind of hitting all (laughs) of the... Who who are they expecting to like review all this footage? This is going to be like hundreds of millions, thousands of hours at least of footage of what people are saying. So they're going to have to upload this to some sort of algorithm that's going to listen for keywords and and people are going to get hemmed up by like, who, who's responsible for this? What are their credentials for reviewing all of this yep. footage and information? That's, I don't know. Sounds suspicious. Second Amendment Foundation Executive Director Adam Kraut, who's a good dude, he says this, the state is imposing Orwell- Orwellian tactics to literally view and overhear private conversations of anyone that walks into a gun shop or visits a gun show or the home of a residence-based licensed firearms dealer, which those do exist. That's a violation of privacy to which no person exercising any other civil right would ever be subjected. I mean, this, this is like on the level of being told you have to have a video camera with audio recording you, you know, consulting with your doctor in, behind closed doors of, a, of an exam room. Mm-hmm. Like that's the level of, of violation this feels like to me. You know, it's like, a breach of privacy of even if you're doing it at the grocery store. I mean, not to mention like self defense products. Yeah. Yep. One hundred percent. So there you go. Now you know what's going on in California. <laughs> That's being filed against. So uh, we'll try to keep our, our eye on that and follow up with that and see uh, where that goes. Uh, hopefully, that is quickly uh, turned around and overturned. That seems too ridiculous to fly. Uh, but I really uh, have been proven wrong before. Well, it all depends about, you know, getting in front of the right set of judges, right? Um, and that those judges are favorable, you know, like that they view the Constitution in the way that we do. Um, and then if those judges don't agree, then, you know, you got to get the next, you know, the next correct good makeup of, of justices that see things uh, correctly at the next level, right? So typically, you know, with federal cases, um, it, it may it may be reviewed just by a single federal judge. Um, and we see that all the time where sometimes a single judge, federal judge says, nope, I deny that request. I deny that, uh, that injunction or whatever. Um, and then at which time usually what happens is whoever's um, the plaintiff in those cases or whoever's on the losing side of that decision, whatever that decision is, will then ask for an on banc review, uh, uh, which or, or, or sometimes it'll go to a panel of three judges, or it might go to a panel of even more judges, which is known as a non-bonk review. Uh, sometimes I think as many as seven or nine judges at a federal, you know, U.S. district court. And then if, if that doesn't pan out and you got to take it further, then your next course of action is to, to go to the U.S. Supreme Court. So these kinds of things, you know, usually take uh, some time 
to work through the system if you're not uh, regularly following this kind of stuff. But this one's definitely very concerning. Obviously, some of the things we mentioned today uh, are also concerning, just like that law out of Illinois. Uh, we've got some stuff going on here in Colorado. Of course, we're always fighting, trying to get you know turned around here. Um, these are important issues because I'll tell you this: at one time, Colorado was a was a safe place as far as the Second Amendment is concerned. Okay, and it wasn't that long ago, right? Um, now Colorado is on par with you know it's trying to be the next California, it's trying to be the next New York, it's all right? Denver's fall. You know, at one time, um, you know, uh, Washington and Oregon, same thing. It, you know, a couple of years ago, we weren't concerned about the the super restrictive laws that they've passed in those two states just in the last year or two. Right. And so you see how f- this stuff happens. We've been saying for almost eight years now on the podcast that the, one of the reasons we talk about issues in, say, Illinois or California or Washington or New Jersey or wherever is because what's going on in those states, it's only a matter of time before it happens in your state. And if we don't stay on top of things here, where we are, each of us, each of you watching or listening where you are and fighting and standing up for Second Amendment, it's only a matter of time before the other side takes over. And that's where we're at in Colorado. Right now, we, we're in a losing position. Pro-Second Amendment folks in Colorado are in on the losing side on almost every Second Amendment issue in our state. Yep. And I'm not done fighting. So... But it's not a very good fight right now. Anyway, that's all we got for today, guys. Appreciate you being a support supporters of the podcast. Don't forget about our sponsors today, mountainmanmedical.com and the 2023 Holiday uh, Defenders Dream Giveaway sponsored by guns.com. You can sign up at concealedcarry.com forward slash giveaway starting on December 23rd, running through January 3rd. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share our podcast, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, and hopefully soon, maybe even on Instagram. But please share the podcast with your friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, like-minded folk that you think would benefit from the issues we discuss here on the podcast. And uh, anything else, Brian? Oh, be ready for whatever the mountain throws at you. <laughs> I like that. And also, that's 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 the uh, Mountain and Medical, you know, saying. And... Uh, our saying here at concealedcarry.com is, hey, train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. Concealed Carry, Inc., its brands and properties, and the Concealed Carry podcast is not a legal service, nor are we attorneys at law. We make our best faith effort to share Concealed Carry-related insights and information about firearm-related incidents and the laws pertaining based on our own understanding and experience. But things can be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast. Please exercise care with all things pertaining to firearm use, concealed carry, and always practice following basic firearm safety rules. More information about safety can be found at concealedcarry.com forward slash safety.